this is the second bunch of episodes that I'm releasing in one day. I think there's going to be eight of them again. Now with that last batch, I had to take a quick break because I was on tour. I didn't have the time to watch all those movies that I needed to make a proper episode. And as the regular listeners will already know, those episodes tend to be split into two parts and they roll on for around five hours. So many hours upon hours upon hours of watching and writing and compiling and recording. And I just don't think I'm going to have the time to do it justice. So if you woke up this morning and you're expecting to hear the first part of the 1920s to 1930s episode, many apologies. That will be coming out on the 1st of November. And I very much doubt that this will be happening again, not until mid-2022 anyway. That is the next time I'm planning on having a holiday... I just really don't want to bring you lot a half assed stab at an episode. I'm just not willing to do it. So instead, as in August, I've taken a bunch of my favourite chats that I've already included in those long-winded episodes and I've pulled them out for anyone to listen to individually. There will no doubt still be some content in the month, but the regular programming will continue on November the 1st. And with that, here you go. I do love having these chats with our special guests because primarily this podcast is a labour of love. I love doing it and I find out tons of new information. And my favourite new bit of information about this is director Don Sharp. Well, he's an Aussie. He's like me. So, in 1973, Tasmanian director Don Sharp, he released a film that has since become a legend for all those with a fondness for motorcycle movies uh, that came out in the late 60s and early 70s. For me, I know him for Rasputin the Mad Monk, which is another movie that I love of his. It's not just nostalgia, though, that has kept this movie in print whilst tons of his back catalogue has failed to find distribution. There is a flair to the occult-laden themes on display here that you don't see much around this time. Actually, I tell a lie. Race with the Devil is quite similar. That's from 1975. It's similar in the way that a hefty amount of the film's running time takes place outside during the daylight hours. But... It doesn't hurt this film that there is a stack of leather-clad rebels with the coolest and campest of jackets and crash helmets and motorbikes in this movie. They're speeding around the Surrey countryside and in the shopping centres. Oh my goodness. I love Psychomania. They were just ordinary troublemakers as long as they lived. But they return from beyond the grave with superhuman powers, unleashing an unholy reign of terror that holds an entire community in the grip of psychomania. Psychomania. Everybody dies, don't they? But some come back. How do the dead come back, Mother? When you die, you've got to believe that you're going to come back. 
I want. After that, nothing and nobody can harm you. Oh, man, what are you waiting for? You can only die once. After that, nothing and nobody can harm you. Psychomania. Ride with the Living Dead. A gang of young people call themselves the Living Dead. They terrorise the population from their small town. After an agreement with the devil, see how quickly that raises stakes? If they kill themselves, firmly believing in it, they will survive and they will gain eternal life. Following their leader, they commit suicide one after the other, but things don't necessarily turn out as expected. Now that should be enough for you to just go out and simply buy this, but I'm going to give you an MVP here. George Sanders. In Psychomania, he plays the sinister Shadwell. He's a butler that pulls the satanic strings that lend the film its narrative edge. He is great in this, yet for a while he'd been suffering from alcoholism, depression and the onset of dementia. And shortly after filming completed on this film, he booked himself into a hotel and he took his own life. And on a note, he wrote, Dear world, I am leaving because I am bored. I feel I have lived long enough. I am leaving you with your worries in this sweet cesspool. Good luck. And I would recommend to you to check out some other top shelf George Sanders genre work. It includes Village of the Damned, The Picture of Dorian Gray, The Lodger. And for those that want a bit of sci-fi horror spliced in, then check out his oddball performance in The Body Stealers. Who's this geezer? Shadwell. He works for Tom's mother. Excellent. I want to bury this with Tom. What's in it? Thank you. Thank you. Is that all? For the moment. Okay, so our guest chat hero for this movie today is one John Tantalon. He is an incredibly well-informed Scot who loves the macabre and the legend of horror in the UK, specifically North Edinburgh. I mean, that's niche, but it's deliciously niche. He is an author and he runs a North Edinburgh Nightmares website and YouTube channel, which we do talk about in this chat, and I really recommend this to you. You'll know it instantly if it's for you because you'll be trawling through the content. They're short enough to keep you wanting more, and they are long enough to tackle in depth everything that you want from them. And here he is, in always Edinburgh glory. Please welcome to a year in horror, John Tantalon. So I actually watched um, Psychomania last night. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it many, many times, but I hadn't seen it in a little while. Um, so I watched that and watched some of the extras, and you forget how good it is. 
watched I've watched it for the very first time just a few months ago, and I, it was during a stack of films that I just just bought that I saw a little bit cheap. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a ton of Blu-rays, and it stood out from the pack. Like from that era, it really did something for me where a lot of the others didn't. It was all the others would just seem to be like tits and ass and threadbare plots. And this one, it left me with me th- thinking about it for days on end afterwards. I love the whole suicide thing. Uh, it just really stuck with me. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great first watch. Imagine yeah. watching it for the first time again. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, I saw it. Would have been in the 80s, the mid-80s perhaps, um, when they used to show them on BBC late at night. And it was one of the ones that, you know, I mean, it was amongst all the other Hammer, Amicus, Tygon films of the time. But it did, it had something kind of special about it that stuck out. Um, so I went on to get it on a pre-cert copy, you know, when we had the old beta back then. Yeah. And purchased it many times after, you know. I had another VHS copy when I was, you know, into tape training. Then, you know, the DVD on... Um, Severin was it? I can't remember, and now the startling, you know, the lovely Blu-ray. So it's it's one of those things that's definitely you know kind of never went away over the years. Was that your introduction to like the psychomania? Was it on telly first? Yes, first time I saw it. Um, I mean, it was around about the same time as I saw Halloween for the first time. My mum gave me a choice uh, watching. This would have been about nineteen early eighties. Halloween was on one channel. And Psycho was on, would have been on BBC, and I chose Halloween. So it was around about that time that I picked it up. So, uh, 1984. Imagine watching all that for the first time. Wow. (laughs) Well, at that age, I don't think I really took it all in, you know, what it was really all about. But it was just the the spectacle of these characters on the bikes and going through walls and stuff. You know, it was wild, you know, even when you were young. Well, you mentioned that this film actually means quite a lot to you personally before. Fill me in with that story, yeah? And the listeners will love this. So, yeah, please tell me what this film has meant in your life. Well, I mean, it was, again, it was that time when I was sort of getting into horrors and sort of the mid-80s. And there was all kinds of British horrors I'd have seen about that time. The ones that stand out was... um, the Ghoul with um, Peter Cushion and John Hurt. Um, Great film. There was uh, you know other things that you saw on the telly late at night. And, you know, of course, Psychomania. So some years later, you know, I'd had it on various formats. I met my, my, my better half in Victoria. And we're on, she lives near London. She lives in Hampshire, where, I, you know, I spend, you know, half the month when I'm not in Edinburgh, I'm down there. So, uh we're down at the South Bank for a romantic day out and they uh, said, oh God, look what's on at the BFI. And she's not into this sort of stuff. She's not a, a horror fan. And I says, would you mind going? Ah, oh, if you want, what's it about? I says, just come along and see. So, you know, we, there was two films. There was another one, a sort of short 40 minute thing about bikers that they showed. And then Psychomania. And she still goes on about this, this day. Says, you know, we're still together now. So, you know, you must be doing something right. But uh, going on a, you know, a hot date, second date, and it's Psychomania you take your girlfriend to see. So that was that was quite sort of special that it's still lasting. As a matter of fact, there's, there's the ticket there of the very night, which was 14th of April, 2007. So, yeah, not, you know, pretty close. You know then that you've got a keeper. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's like a mania. Yeah, whenever I mention the film, and of course I've got the the poster, the UK quad. You know, whenever she sees it, you know, she says, "Oh God, that film again!" You know. One of the the things that pulled me in and made me buy this one was the the artwork. Mm. I. I, I loved it, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yes. For, for those that haven't seen it, we are going to spoil this, but I just want to, um, I would love you, John, to give me the plot synopsis okay. uh, going in. So, yeah, go for it. Well, what I've done is I've prepared something. I hope you don't mind to read it off the, off oh, the no, laptop, it, but I will do it. it in correct North Edinburgh Nightmares etiquette. So here we go. Excellent. Upon discovering a dark family secret... Tom, played by the great Nicky Henson of Witchfinder General, decides to take drastic measures. As the leader of the Living Dead Bike Gang, he puts a plan into action to ensure the gang's immortality, thus securing the group of ragtag bikers the status of the most feared gang in town. Through his devil-worshipping mother, Beryl Reed, Tom makes a pact with Satan to ascertain the secret of immortality. With his newfound dastardly information, he manages to convince his gang to follow him into death, only to return as the real living dead. Chaos soon ensues. Magic. Magic. <laughs> okay, right. I'm, I want to get into this in a sec. We'll come back. But you mentioned it there, North Edinburgh Nightmares. Yes. So you've got this enchanting Scottish voice and... The one that I watched um, was about old Colton Jail. Yes. And I watched it because I was like, hang on, I've got photos uh, saying that. And I went and visited the old Colton Cemetery when I was in on holiday. All oh, right. Uh, we spent a couple of hours just taking photos be- before we got our train back. And yeah, I was like drawn to it. And they're fantastic. Uh, I'm watching the YouTube ones. And I wanna, want you to talk me through a little bit about what you're doing with North Edinburgh Nightmares because... A lovely ghost story just before bed, mm. and your voice is so. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say, but dreamy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I love that accent. Brilliant, much appreciated. Some good feedback. Brilliant. <laughs> Tell um, me a bit about it. North End Brunner. First of all, that story, um, it's right round the corner from my work. I mean, I work for the council, for Edinburgh Council, and where we're based is literally a stone's throw away from that building. So that was gold wow. dust. You know, I was in there talking to the staff, getting bits and pieces. But the original story belonged, it's a true story. I mean, it, it came from somebody somebody else that contacted me, how most of the stories come about. And, you know, the, the, the part of the end with what happened to the man really occurred. You know, it happened leading to bringing in new rules about loan working and all kinds of stuff. It was great. Uh, but yeah, that um, so that that was a, you know, one that kind of peaked around about, was it Halloween or November or something I did it? But it was a great success. The initial North Edinburgh Nightmares, you know, idea came about, I've been doing it about four years now. And I decided to write a book on some of the, the sort of folklore and ghost stories of the area, because there's plenty. And, you know, there was none of them really documented. There was some. But I thought, I've got to get some of these out there. And there was one story that my granddad told me many years ago, you know, back in the 70s. He was in the Merchant Navy, and that's on the the page as well. It's called Slangivar, and it's a, a nautical ghost story about an incident at sea in the 4th. And it's, you know, you, you should give that one a listen. 
as I say, they're going to be my nighttime listens going forward. Yeah. <laughs> well, on, on a strange side note, earlier on today, I've actually taken a picture to send you. Where I live and where the story's set um, happened on a place called Wardy Bay, which was used to be known as Granton Harbour. And that was where my granddad sailed out of when he was a trawlerman. And that's where the wow. ghostly incident occurs now tonight the fog came out of nowhere and it was just like out of the carpenter film so i said i better get a picture of this and send it to you so i'll send it afterwards I'll get a hoop. <laughs> That's awesome. i can see that there's a, a stockpile already there what are you going to do with the site going forward um, well, what originally I aimed to do was just to do stories of the, the area, the North Edinburgh postcode, which basically goes to Leith, and, you know, it stops at Edinburgh Old Town, and I covered, you know, quite a lot of them, some crackers, and then you got to the next part with the Colton Jail, which goes out of the North Edinburgh boundaries, so I decided, you know, I'll, I'll continue doing stories to do with the, you know, the boroughs of Edinburgh and you know, likewise. So there's plenty more to come. I'm working on two good ones just now that's involved lots of trips, you know, to, to other parts of, you know, the boroughs each night just to get into the vibe of the stories. The next one's, a, you know, a seaside town, Edinburgh's seaside called Portobello, you know, little towns beside it, and they've got some great ghost stories. So that's going to be the next one. Uh, so that's, that's going to prove a lot of fun. I've been uh, in Edinburgh walking at night through the the sort of main touristy bits, mm. but still those main touristy bits they are proper creepy at night. Oh, yeah. And I was saying to my wife at the time, like, how many films must have been filmed here? And as far as I know, I don't know any. Uh, is there any movies that have actually captured that spirit of Edinburgh at night? Um, it's, it's strange because the back of my work is where they shoot a lot of the films. I've shot the beginning of Train Spotting is at the back of my work. Um, where you know, like he runs into the car, and the amount of tourists we see running down the steps of the pub, re- <laughs> recreating that scene. There was also Mary Riley was there with Julia Roberts some year in the nineties. Oh did, yeah, I saw did, that a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, did, um, one recently called the oh, recently years back uh, with Tom Hanks, The Cloud Atlas. They filmed that in the back of my work. The recent Fast and the Furious film that's still to be released was filmed there too. And one of the Avengers movies, there was bits filmed. So they all, it's great. They all, you know, we get permission, you know, to see bits of it when it's being made. Because obviously it's the back window looks onto it. Um, but apart from that, I mean, the the grass market and the likes, I can't think of many sort of recent ghost stories or as such that are made there. So I, I don't know why. I mean, they tend to shoot in Glasgow more. It's a shame because there there is some stunning, stunning views mm. and architecture there that was proper creepy. I'm based near Canterbury, and mm. you would think again there should be tons of stuff done there. But the only thing we've had uh, of recent years that I can even think of was he had um, Brad Pitt. He turned up for World War Z. Oh yeah, filming sort of like the inside of um, the medical centre bit right. towards the end. So, yeah, they were doing pickups there, and, and that's the only film that's ever been done around our area that I'm aware of. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, my, my girlfriend and her kids, we live in, I said, Hampshire, and near an older shot, they were filming that one you just mentioned, World War Z, they were filming bits with the army barracks. Um, right, right. And they, they were also filmed, they filmed quite a lot there, as a matter of fact. They filmed um, Gladiator and Alice Hope Forest nearby, did Robin Hood. 
many others. So it's got that kind of charm. But up here, they were doing World War Z in Glasgow, the start of it, you know, in George Square, the bit with the, you know, the crash and stuff. So, they, yeah, they wow. certainly they do film in the same locations, it seems. There was a lot of pickups then on that film. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to Psychomania. Okay. Uh, I, as far as I'm aware, this one is Surrey-based? Yes. Is that I've, right? I've got some of the locations here, as a matter of fact. Chobham. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Run me through it. Run yeah. me through it. So, let's see. The bulk of it was in um, Laylum in Surrey, by the look of things, including the part where um, Tom goes off the bridge. That was the M3 when they were just building sections of it. <laughs> uh, the other place was... Um, yeah, Littleton, Surrey comes up. Walton on Thames is the shopping precinct, which has, I believe, been demolished. It's been rebuilt now. Um, Chobham, oh. which I mentioned, that's the police chases in Chertsey. Now, both those areas are not far from where I am down in Hampshire, um, which is a you know a host of film locations down there. You know, that's what I do quite a lot of them. You know, traveling, I've done you know quite a few good ones. But yeah, that's some of the locations there, um, and a lot of like the house where um, Tom lived, was in, I think, Shepparton Studios. Uh, and, you know, other sort of parts of the filming were done in there. That was a set? Mm. Wow. Well, the house okay. was real, from what I gather, um, but the house was on the grounds, and, you know, it's probably turned up in other films, you know, used there. I know that um, Amicus did that a lot with their film sets. Um, you know, there was, like, you know, an old house was used in some of the films there that was on on location and hammer too they did the same as i say with this podcast i'm sort of filling in the gaps during lockdown yeah. uh, of all the the films i've missed and i'm doing them sort of one year at a time so 1971 was so different from everything else that i've really put myself through i think mm. i've watched like 60 or 70 films from that wow. year and it, and it really filled my um mind of actually horror is something not what i actually thought it was mm. 73 so far is really similar really similar so i guess this sort of period stretches for quite some time but all i've got before that is the 60s which seems a world away from this yes this seems like modern um well m modern with inverted commas sort of thing and it, it feels fresh and sort of sexy mm. where where before it the sex stuff was always there yeah but it wasn't sold like this um, I mean, we're talking about stri I, strictly British horror or, or worldwide Pretty horror. much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, from what I gather, in the early 70s, 72, 3, the, the censors were a, a little more relaxed. I don't know if a new censor came on board. I know Fairman came in in the late 70s, 77 or something, but before that, his predecessor maybe um, came in and allowed a bit more sex in films because you notice that with um, the lust for a vampire and, you know, you know films of that like, they were a bit more, you know, the stuff they wouldn't have got away with a few years previous. So maybe that was something to do with it, the sort of changing of the guard, more sort of relaxing times. It does feel a, a lot freer. And when you get to Psychomania, it's just like um, whatever. It's old hat yeah. now, sex. Death's the new thing. Yeah. Get into death. Um. I think Don Sharp's got a lot to do with it. Uh, so I knew the only other film I've seen of his is uh, a Hammer one, which is Rasputin the Mad Monk. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked Don Sharp up. I, I knew some of his output, but, you know, he did a lot of stuff. He was an Australian guy. Um, he did, really? Yeah, he was Australian. Um, 
English, well thank you, he worked here but he was from Australia. He did the famous one being Kiss of the Vampire, which a lot of people herald as, you know, really high point of Hammer's output. Uh, he was responsible for that and then, as you said, Rasputin. But he also did the Devil Ship Pirates with Christopher Lee, the swashbuckler that Hammer released. Um, so he worked with them for a while. He also he did a couple of the Fu Manchu films. Um, I've, I, I can't remember who put them out which film studio, as well as others. Um, and then he went back to Hammer in 1980 and did an episode of the wonderful Hammer House of Horror for Roy Skeggs. Oh, wow. He did what one, one did the, he do? One of the best ones, The Guardian of the Abyss. Awesome. He did that one, yeah. So I I do know a bit more about him then than I previously <laughs> thought. Yeah, well, I, I tell you, I, I really liked Rasputin. I thought, for a Hammer film, mm. I didn't think it was very flabby or anything. I thought the cuts were quite nice and it was the pace was really good. And it was a, it, of course it was a romp, but I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Whereas sometimes with Hammer, I think they can get a little bit lost, um, especially on the longer films. Yes. But with Psychomania, it feels so far away from Hammer for me. How do you feel when you watch it? Do you feel like you're watching something way more modern than a Hammer? Or do you think it sort of fits snugly still within those boundaries? It's It's got that charm, that sort of early 70s charm that, you know, was, you know, around with so many films at that time. Dra- AD 72, Dracula AD 72, where, you know, the kids are kind of rebelling a little. It's in, you know, sort of swinging London and Chelsea and the likes. Um, it's got that kind of vibe to it, you know, um, with you know, the way the sort of the gang carry themselves. It's just got that feel of the time, I suppose, uh, with the music, the you know, the way it's it's filmed, the angles and stuff. It's it's uh, sort of youth youth rebellion. So I'd say is the, the the phrase going on there. After Repulsion, I feel like things were up for grabs at that point, mm. and directors were were taking what they liked what they knew now they could get away with. So bits and pieces they liked of, oh, Repulsion got away with that, I can take that, I can do this. And it started to infect a a lot of the UK films that I've seen from uh, 71 and 73 so far. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm really happy the way that horror is developing over these years. Yeah. Uh, One thing really caught my eye and one thing I wanted to chat with you Mm -hmm. uh, about is the costumes on here. Yes. Which... Uh, would uh, incredible! I love the biker costumes so much. Like uh, the from the leather jackets to those old bikes. Uh, I, I I heard they couldn't afford yeah. decent Harleys or anything. So well, they, if you, if they watched, got old bangers. If you watch the extras, which I take it you must have done. If you see the interview I, with it with the Nikki. Henson. Unfortunately, I watched that a long time ago, so I think this yeah. is where I'm gaining my knowledge from. Just bits and pieces that I've picked up. Well, he was that. saying that he was promised, you know. Harley Davidsons, and that's how he signed up because he was bike mad. You know, he was you know loved motorbikes. And when he got there, and they were all clapped out things from World War Two. I, I can't remember what they were, but he says that was his own leathers he wore. He'd come to work on his bike, whatever he rode, uh, you know, Triumph or something, and then just get straight on and go to work on the other ones. So there was lots of funny anecdotes about you know how he was. Um, you know, the real, he was like the real Tom. And also there's an excerpt on, on the Blu-ray about the actual shop that did the leathers that are still going now. Can't remember what they were called. And they've done, you know, bike clothes for a long time. That's the bit that yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah. So a guy standing in this leather shop. That's right. But yeah, they've been doing them a long time. I don't know how many years, but, you know, one of these sort of classic shops that have, you know, existed. I've got friends with tattoos of the skull motif on the crash oh, helmet. Right. 
and I've n- never known where it was from, never asked. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it all comes together watching this. So, like, to me, it's quite an iconic thing. But when I've shown uh, a couple of my friends that uh, also like horror and dabble into horror, yeah. again, they're not aware of it. So I think this film is still reasonably underground. From what I can tell, whenever it does get that, oh, it's going to be playing in a cinema for for a short while mm. they're always packed people yeah. are, are really in love with this film like they would be not as an extreme thing but like a rock, rocky horror picture show mm. where people would just go out because they love every scene yeah and um, is it deserved of that sort of love and that passion from its fans yeah i mean it's it's very much a cult classic um I think a lot of it came from people that saw it on telly from about the time when I did. Now, there's a, a chap I work with who was an ex-biker. He was in a bike club. And he was telling me about what they thought of it, you know, from being real bikers. Oh, brilliant. And real badasses. And he was saying they loved it. And it was just the whole trippiness of the whole thing. So, I mean, probably you're watching that under the influence of God knows what. And it just worked. You know, it just, you know, hit it off with them. Uh, and there was other films he mentioned. Stone. Yeah, there, there was the Northville Cemetery Massacre. All, Werewolves on Wheels. All these other bike-related movies. But he said Psychomania, probably with it being British, was one that they all liked in the club. You know, and that was probably watching it on telly late at night as well. So I don't know how successful it was in its initial run when it was in the cinemas, you know. But from what you see on the, the extras, you know, certainly Nicky Henson and others, you know, they're amazed that it's still around, that people are, you know, <laughs> you know, interested in it today. I am. It's It's very niche from the off. I think if you've got a wealth of horror classics that you've ticked off in your, your past sort of thing, it fits in quite nicely. But I just think if you're coming in raw, like, what is this film? Like, it's it's mad. It's a biker's film. But then I, I I'm, what you just said about your the, the biker friend is quite shocking to me because I feel like they're, they're portrayed quite camply and really in an unmacho way. Mm. There's, it's very... Yeah, camp's a good word for it. Yeah. Like, especially, like, the, the bright colours on their jacket and things like that. And at the same time, that's sort of the thing that draws me into it. Yeah. They're this gang that just want to have fun. That's all they yeah. want. They don't want to be murdering anyone but themselves. They're just doing it for kicks. And as you see um, what they're all wearing, like um, Abby, his girlfriend, you know, she's got sort of colour-coordinated leathers. Um, uh, what was her name, Anne? Michelle, was it? Vicky Michelle's sister? She's got sort of red leathers on to go. So they've all got a slightly different look. Hatchet's got his name on his jacket painted and, you know, the other, the other one whose name escapes me, you know, they've got their own little sort of look going on. Um, so I see what you, you mean about it. It's a, a bit camp. Um, they're all very I want to join that. As well. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favourite part is he, um, our lead actor man, sorry, hit me. What's his name? Uh, Nicky Henson. Thank you so much. When he convinces the gang to kill themselves, and then you get this varying stages of people committing suicide with their bikes. At first, I was like, well, it's getting a bit heavy. And then I sort of, when when the one happens with the motorway, uh, he sort of just gets pummeled by a truck going over his head. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm in now. This is fun. Yeah. Um, but wow, like what a way, what a thing to film. Yeah. Like, and you can see why the actors themselves thought, what are we doing? This yeah. is never going <laughs> to it's never going to fly. But that's one of the things that I'm, I think of uh, when I think of the film. I just think that is a fun, 
idea. I mean, you know, it, it's all about Satan. They're, they're going to get life after death. They've just got to give up their souls. Yeah, it's... Um there's definitely an element of comedy attached to some of that. You know, the fact the guy jumping in the water with the, you know, the chains on him. The other guy going, you know, he's yes. chatting up a girl, getting her shopping, and halfway through says, oh, no, I've got to jump off the building. So there's all these wee bits of humour that they've they've injected there. Um, and, of course, um, Anne Michelle's reaction when she realises that Tom's immortal. What is it she says? It's like, I've got it somewhere. Uh what are we waiting for? You know, she cries out thinking, great, let's go kill ourselves. So there's all these little humorous sections. In, in that very section where uh, the, the fella goes up behind him and he looks all sort of petrified <laughs> and sort of, whoa, hang on. Yeah. Whoa, didn't I know I signed up for this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, okay. I mean, before we go, I've got to ask you, you I know you recommend this film um, and you, you love it so much. And I'm so glad you do. And I'm so glad I've got to talk to you about it. But do you think, uh, for, for listeners out there, whether it still actually holds up in today's day and age? For me, I was pulled straight in. Do you think other people would be as well? I think so. I mean, it's... I don't know, it's whatever's going around at the time um, with sort of, you know, current things on TV. I remember that show, Sons of Anarchy, was on at the time when this came out and everyone was getting into the whole bike look and stuff and I was speaking to my friend about it and he hated the show he thought oh, it was abominable from a real biker's point of view but this you know they kind of they liked because it wasn't taking itself too serious um so I think that you know it's it's certainly got a charm that if somebody was to you know see it for the first time you know they'd something would catch them instead of thinking what the hell is this I'm watching um, I think it, it manages to pull with the music, with the kind of campness of it, the, the kind of one-liners, and just the sheer bizarre deaths, etc., and the revenge. I think that's the sort of thing that would you know catch people's attention if they were to see it nowadays, you know, for the first time. I agree. I think it's ripe for rediscovery. I think it's one of those films that really stands out. I mean, this isn't just one of those also-rans from 73 or around that period. It's really, really impressive, and it really makes you think. Whereas a lot of those other films, as I said at the beginning, some of them are just tits and arse and fangs. Uh, So, yeah, it it did something to me that, that really made it stand out. John, thank you very much. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure. Just like the movie itself, the music here is very much a product of its time. And the soundtrack, it's credited to John Cameron and Frog. Now, there is a sort of an acoustic ballad that's played in here, which might be John Cameron, it might be Frog, I'm not 100% sure. (laughs) It could be both, I just don't know. But it does stand out from the rest of the soundtrack, 
And also, it has its own little scene in the film, which is just fantastic. But I can't separate it. So John Cameron and Frog. And when I looked this up on Spotify, it said John Cameron and Frog, which didn't really help. And then if you look onto the actual album cover itself, it says... Original soundtrack music by John Cameron performed by Frog. Does that help you? Regardless, this is an awesome time capsule with the sound palette that was used in everything from TV adverts to prog rock. There is organic instrumentation throughout and it's embellished by some wonderful keyboard flourishes sprinkled all over the place. Every now and again it gets really funky and I hate funk but I love this, and all the rock-fueled parts just seep the 1970s. It actually sounds like the 1970s are just leaking, leaking out of your speakers. And another thing that I love about it is it doesn't go for the obvious, spooky, hammer-horror-style, eerie compositions, except for maybe during a couple of those shorter interludes, like this one. It's called The Cross. Now, I do listen to this a stupid amount. Ever since I bought the Blu-ray, this has been a regular into my ear holes. You can listen to it on Spotify, as I said, and I'm sure there are still vinyl copies out there. So if anybody ever wants to buy me a gift, you know what to do. But where can you watch this? Well, let me tell you, you lucky people. You can stream this for free in the UK and the USA right now on Plex. Whatever the fuck Plex is, you can stream it there. But you'll need to type in its alternate title to find it, and that is The Death Wheelers. Or you can simply buy that good-looking BFI Blu-ray that I bought. It's got a great transfer, it's got a stack of extras on it. It's very, very Moorish. As for podcasts, Hypnagoria, uh, spelled H-Y-P-N-O-G-O-A-R-I-A, They did their Psychomania episode in May 2016. Uh, More recently, in August 2020, customers also watched. They blended the film with some drinking games in their episode. If that's your bag, if you want to get drunk and watch a film and listen to a podcast, I don't think you need to go any further than that. Customers also watched. And there you go. Psychomania. What a pleasant surprise that was. Thank you so much one more time to John Tantalon for making that so. I can't wait to speak to the guy again. Let's move on. Every year, you do, you do fall. 